this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever? Yeah. Remain standing, please, and Jody will come read the word to us. Reading from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astonished. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Amen. Can you give God a hand for the reading of the word? You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. Robin and I are honored. You come to worship on the corner with other Christians. Uh, we're in starting, just started last week, a series called People. And I'll kind of run what my th- thought was. Last year, when the pandemic hit and everything shut down, and by everything, I mean everything, pretty much restaurants, all mom-and-pop businesses, schools, churches. And we found ourselves in what they would start determining is the new normal. You were six feet away from friends. You were locked into your house. You were wearing masks. Fear was kind of escalating. And we were all trying to adjust to the new normal. What's this new virus? It was a virus that had never hit humans before. And we're all trying to scramble and figure it out. And, of course, with any contagious pandemic contagion that swims across the ocean and hits our country. You, you have everybody's opinions. Uh, it's fake. It's real. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's politics. It's an agenda. No, it killed my grandmother. It's real. Uh, and, you know, and then all of the mess that comes out of it while we try to figure out what's going on from social media to real media to my personal life and my own experiences. And, and so during that time, You know, churches were shut down, and it was the first time in my life 
that I had ever lived in a country that pretty much says we highly recommend you close up the doors and don't go. And so most churches in America shut their doors. And we started doing church differently. We were even having conversations in the pastoral world of church has to be done differently now. We've got to think differently now. And we started doing virtual church. Schools went virtual. Uh, what I would have never thought would have been normal is now very normal. We have virtual days and on-campus days. And there's still churches in our country that still haven't gone back to live you know, gatherings. They still do virtual. And so everything shifted. And I started having hard conversations with myself of what do I believe? And do I really believe what I tell people I believe? And do I really believe in the Jesus that I preach about? And I wish I could say that my answers were yes, but I felt like I was failing on some levels. And so in thinking about that, I asked the guys to put together a graphic that could at best define my mind. So I guess that's what my mind looks like. I said, I want you to put a graphic of random strangers, people I don't even know, and in the bottom corner, I want you to put a picture of Jesus. And so when they, Joey sent this to me, it was perfect for what I wanted because the reality of people that I wish I could ignore and I don't even know them because I don't have time to know them because my life's really busy. But I do claim to be a Christian, and so down in the corner there's this little artificial painting because we really don't have a real Jesus, a picture. It's all painted. It's, it's what some artist conjectures he looks like. And whatever the artist thinks he looks like is what the artist paints. And so here we sit in 2021 with real people and real problems and real pandemics. And yet we seemingly are in a religion where we're trying to promote a very archaic, unreal God. The best we have is a picture of him. The best we have is a painting he doesn't even look that real. So the, what began to come into me is how do we take this, I believe, real Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago and how do we bring him into our world to where he becomes a real face rather than a portrait or rather than an artist's rendering. Christ has a real face. And I was wrestling, but I don't even know how to do that. And it became very clear, I think it... As I studied it out, the clarity became that I was the reality of Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. In other words, the way people would know Jesus is real is that they would look at me and he would come off of the canvas of an artist's rendition and he would enter into me as a living God and the living God would begin to manifest his reality through Mark. So how could people know he's real? By simply saying, I believe in him and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to give my life for him. The reality of Christ being really alive and not just a picture is because His people begin to propagate His reality because the Spirit of Christ in them becomes contagious to those that are around them. And so I had all year to think about it. You're getting it in a, in a series a year later. But I judged my own self. If you hung out with me, would I believe in the portrait of historical Jesus or if you hung out with me long enough, is my life in relationship with him so contagious that you would figure he's real because he's real in Mark and I've tasted him and I've seen him because I saw him through you. Well, that led me on, you know, a lot of pondering times. And I came across a fun fact that I thought was interesting. It'll go with what I think I want to say today. Here's the fun fact. 
Researchers settled on what they believe is the magic number of true expertise is 10,000 hours. In other words, if you want to be called an expert on TV and some person labels you as an expert, uh, what researchers have said is that anybody with the title of expert has at least 10,000 hours of hands-on experience. And if you've had over 10,000 hours of hands-on experience, you could label yourself and or others label you as an expert. So when I read that in a book I was reading, I thought, that's interesting. I want to see, because I think I'm pretty good on a guitar. So I took all my years of guitar playing, age 15, and I try to play an hour a day. It doesn't work. I'm busy, so I was spare. I shoved it down to four hours a week. So from age 15 till about 51, with several cheats in between many years, I try to play guitar at least four hours a week. I sit down, I learn new stuff, and I mean, I never play in here, but in my mind, I'm really good. And so I added up those hours. I added up from age 15 to age 56, an average of four hours a day, 52 weeks a year, times 41 years, and it was 8,150-something hours. And I was like, God, I'm still not an expert. <laughs> I still got 1,500 hours left. That's another eight years, by the way. So I know Robin's thinking, dear God, you're not an expert yet. It's all you do. And I'm thinking, no, I've still got eight more years of aggravating you, honey. And so I really do. It was really kind of defeating. Like I'm 56 and I'm still not an expert. So I took that thought. And at age 15, I'll share the number with you in a minute. But at age 15, my mom and dad started a church in Statesboro, Georgia. My first job was in the church like this. I was the janitor. Dad hired me to be the janitor, and so I was pretty happy about being a janitor. And uh, I cleaned the church, and Dad paid me $77 a week to clean the church. And I would say, why not more? He'd say, seven is the number of perfection, and that's what I'm going to pay you, seven times seven, $77. So from age 15 till I graduated college, I was paid $77 a week to work for my dad. I've only worked two other jobs in my 56 years of living, I've worked a total of about three months of my life in a job other than the local church. So I don't have much experience out there in what people would call the real world, but from age 15 to 56, exception of three months of my life, I've been employed by what the world would call the church. I've, I've been the janitor, I've been a children's pastor, a youth pastor, a college pastor, an associate pastor, an executive pastor, a worship leader, a college minister. I've, I've hit every realm of the church in 41 years. Now to be fair, because people say preachers don't work much, true, um, I took a 40-hour work week and I gave myself a little grace that I didn't, from 15 to 56, always work 40 hours. I was in school, so I was working part-time at times. And then when we started a church, I wish I could work 40 hours. Sometimes it was 50, 60, because when you plan a church, you're always doing it. So I just was fair to myself. I gave myself 30 hours a week uh, that I would work, you know, young years, 20 hours part-time, old years, mid-years, 40, and the average being 30 hours. 30 hours a week times 52 weeks times 41 years doing this, it gave me this number. 63,960 hours. 
I'm here to talk to you about Jesus. I'm here to tell you what I know. I've learned a lot in my years of following God. He's a good God. The Lord, he's coming. I've been doing it a long time. When I saw that, 63,000 hours, I thought, my God, i got to retire. <laughs> but I gave that to you. For this one thing, I by far don't think I'm an expert at it. But I've been doing church long enough, I feel the right to give an opinion of what I think is happening to us as Christians in the deep south of American church. I cannot speak to all of our country. I don't live there, but I've grown up in the south and I know how we do it here. And I feel like with 63,000, almost 64,000 hours under my belt, I feel like I have a good pulse on church in the South and what has happened to us over the last several centuries, millennia, since Christ died for us. So working that out last year, I do what I always do. And I, if I'm teaching a Bible course, I teach students to do it. I always just go back to the beginning point before humans got involved and messed it up. How many of you know we're good at messing things up? Yeah. So I, I always try to go back and go, what was God's intention before humans got in and changed his intentions and then turned it into what we wanted it to be? So I went back to what Jody read. I went back to the first few weeks of the church when it began, back in the book of Acts. I, I went back to that moment and Jody read it for us. So let's jump in and let's... Go to the scripture that she began in Acts 3. Peter and John. So I would say at this moment, if I'm just going to guess, but it's a, it's a pretty good opinion, I think I would be close, is that they're probably less than a month in. So church as we know it today that has been going on over 2,000 years, these fellows are about a month into this new thing called Christianity. Christ is resurrected. Christ is in heaven and he's left a motley crew of people behind and they start doing the best they know to do with what they have of Christ. And so the story goes, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in a three o'clock prayer service. One thing we can conjecture is that they were very religious. They were very systematic in their religion. They knew exactly what time they needed to show up at prayer. And they were probably already in the Jewish tradition of this is just the way it's done. And so they're going through the motions. They're going to the prayer service every day. They're representing Jesus at the prayer service. But it really becomes problematic in verse 2. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. And each day he was put beside the temple gate. The one called beautiful. When I read that, I was looking at it this week thinking about what I would say today. It really just irritated me personally. What irritated me was not Peter and John. What irritated me is that some kid, since the time he was born, was put at the front door of this move of God and not a dad blame thing happened to him. And he's at the front door. And every day for his whole life, people walk past him being religious, but nothing ever changes in his life. 
He's two feet away from the activity of prayer. He's 20 feet from the prayer service. But they won't let him in. They just keep him out front. He's 20 feet away from all these religious people. 20 feet away. Every day they show up to pray. Every day they do their religious duties. Every day they go through the creeds. Every day they say the mantras. And then they walk out. And the best they do is they throw him a dollar or two. And they say, man, I just want you to know I just prayed for you in there. And they keep going of life. And every day since birth, no expectation in the guy anymore. The only thing he expects out of these religious people is some social justice. I don't expect my life to change. I don't expect to stop being crippled. But what I do expect is you could give a guy $5, I would appreciate it. And so this religious temple of activity with God, this is where we meet with God, this is where God exists and resides in His people, and we pray to God and we talk to God and we have moments with God and we have experiences with God, but outside the front door, we really have no power beyond social justice. In the American church in the South today, we're great at social justice. Let's feed the poor. Let's help the widows. Let's go mow people's yards. Let's put on our t-shirts and go represent our church as we go into a subpar neighborhood and try to clean the neighborhood up because if we do that, that's what God wants because that's what religious people do. We put our t-shirts on that says serve. We have our bumper stickers for our church and we go out and we mow grass and we clean up trash. We all clap each other, eat Chick-fil-A to support a good cause, go home and feel really good. But at the end of the day, though, though the yards look great and though the trash is not in the street and the more hearts are still broken and people are still lost because all we did was social justice. Here's what I'll say about social justice. I'm for it. Tonight, my wife and I, Robin, we go on a date on Friday night and we drive into Atlanta. You've heard me say it. We have our nice little quaint restaurant. I'm... I try to be a good husband and I make reservations and we go spend time without the children. Mm, come on, somebody. And, uh, and we just have a nice time together. It's a very, uh, it's a very un unwinding time. We, we don't talk about problems. We just stare at each other. She tells me how handsome I am and I give her $5 for lying. I mean, it's just... <laughs> But, but every time we go into Atlanta, inevitably I see a homeless person holding a sign need food. And I, I'm, I'm that guy. I, I always give. I, I always, man, here's a five, here's a 20, here's... I'm just that dude. I'm the dude that if you ask me for money, I'll give it. Please don't come ask me today. Jeez, I, I, I just dug myself in a hole. Preacher just said, if you ask him for money, he'll give you money. And after church, 32 Venmos show up. It's like, oh, man. But if you did ask me, I would help you. That's who I am. But I have to be smart enough to know that if all the church does is just social justice stuff, then we're no different than the Red Cross or any other social club or any other group of people such as Lions Club or the Shriners or whatever that does good things for humanity. I'm not against it. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying... That if we don't offer something beyond what normal social clubs could offer, what's the point? Will we die for that? No. So there is a reality that 
We, we do the religious duties, we pray the prayers, we give the five, we feed the homeless, but lives aren't changing, marriages are still broken, homes are still falling apart. But man, I just wrote a check because we give like 200 a month away, man. We're giving and helping. I'm all for that. It does help organizations. It helps missionaries. But at the end of the day, if we're not putting Jesus out there, then we're no better than anybody else. And so the role of the church is not just to come through the front door while the world sits on the front porch, do our religious services, have a Sunday morning experience, cry at the song of mercy, meet a few friends or two, and then walk back out in the world and pass the people on the front porch and go, here's five, man, I feel good about me. And so I came to this thought, and this is the thought of the day. My opinion I've not done a study on it, but I feel I can at least give an opinion on it. We're religious, but not contagious. One thing I know about Southern Christians, we are blooming great at religion. We can pray, give money, clean up a community, wear t-shirts and bumpers and baptize people and promote our services and have smoke machines and musicians off the chain and best worship ever. But at the end of the day, is our city changing? At the end of the day, do the friends I hang out with change? Do people that I work with change? Or am I just religious going through the day, but I'm not contagious? And I had to answer this myself. I try to, you know, share things with you that aren't just messages, but I'm working through myself. And I would say that I was probably leaned a little more religious than contagious in, in the last year. I think that's why I've been trying to share with you why I've tried to be so passionate here lately because I, I, I looked in the mirror and, and I fell more toward the yellow than the green. I fell more toward the... I pray, I give money, I help people, I mow grass, I'll do whatever, man, I'm in this game. But, but allowing the reality of Christ to, to, to manifest itself in my life so that somebody else is broken, make it understand he's more than a picture, he's more than an artist rendering, oh my God, he's real because he's real in Mark and I hung out with Mark and I saw the reality of Christ because of him. And then I really was honest with myself. If all the places I go and in my daily life and people aren't bumping into Christ, but I carry Christ, then it's not Jesus' fault, it's mine. And I don't mean that because I'm a preacher. I just mean it as a believer. I don't feel like I have any or you or I have any different expectations from our Father except we all have the same expectation to represent Him well. So here's the scriptures as I kept reading. It says, Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked eagerly, expecting some money. Watch, this is interesting to me. The guy is ten feet away from religious activity of people who say they're meeting with God. But he doesn't ever ask, could you connect me with God? He just asks, will you give me money? Because I guess he was smart enough to know why would I ask them for God because I don't see any difference in them. Because if he saw a difference as they came out the door, he would say, well, I want whatever you got. 
But he never said, I want what you got. He just said, I want what you have, which is money. And I know all of y'all have money because I watch you walk in and put it in that little coffer up front. So the world, the worldly expectation of the man was very low. That there was anything different than these people going to this religious gathering where they meet with God. There was no difference in that group of people than anybody else who could give the guy money. He had the same expectations of the street people as the people going into the temple. Just give me some money. Except this day, a contagious dude shows up. And it blew his mind. Because for the first time in the guy's life of religious interventions with people, he meets a contagious person. And contagious people are scary. If you want to know the power of contagion, the moment the pandemic hit, it, like I said, it changed everything. Contagious things change things. I'll never forget when I went into the grocery store and I'm going down an aisle and eat wrong aisle, wrong way. I'm like, wrong way? This is the way I always go. You can't go that way. You see, it's one way. you got to go that way, come this way, because we're trying to keep you from bumping into people who have a contagion. Now, my logic is, that's stupid. <laughs> I just want to go six feet past this arrow. There's nobody in the aisle. you got to go around. Pull your mask up. It says on the box, it doesn't work. That, that seems stupid to me. How can you people not read on the box, this does not keep you from contracting a virus? We don't care, put it on. Why? Because contagions create new normals. I never knew that there would be stickers on the floor. And you had to stand on the sticker. Okay. All right. Next. What's going on? I don't know, dude. I, just, I don't get sick if I do this. I... <laughs> and then I walk into a restaurant and they say, got to put a mask on. Do you have a mask? Oh, this is, this is that American mentality. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. But I'm going to do it because I would rather have their pizza. So I'm like, okay. So I, de I deny my logic for their food because I love to eat. And so I put the mask on and this is what they told me they said what you have to do is you have to put the mask on to walk to the table but when you're at the table you can take the mask off I get to my table and I go I guess we're safe we can sit here the rest of our life because it won't come now we're seated <laughs> virus is only at this level we're good like that's what was going on in my brain I try to be a Christian I don't want to be mean to people but I, logically I'm like what's going on here's what I do know contagions cause change and if I can get you to fear it enough, I can get you to change. So we started staying six feet apart. We started wearing masks whether we believed it or not. We started believing we could die. We might die. It might be real. It is real. I've known people that die from it. It, it, it affected how we do school. It affected how we do church. It affected whether we could do Thanksgiving together. We, we put each other in camps. Why? The power of a contagion. Well, if the devil knows that a contagion can have that kind of power that it can shift a nation, if not only a world, 
Does it make you wonder why the church no longer shifts things? Why we no longer shift cities and why we no longer shift schools and why we no longer shift our work environment? My opinion is, is the devil grabbed the power of contagion to change the world the way he wanted it to go and, re- and Christians became religious and quit being contagious. And the devil knows the power of a contagion. I can shift a world if I can insert it into their bodies. Now his contagion is different. It's a virus. It's, a, it's stuff we deal with. It's a, something that got into us and make us sick. But if you get too close, I can make you sick. But on this day, something happened because a contagious dude who had been with Christ, who saw him resurrected from the dead, who now knows that the Christ that's up there is really not just up there. He's also in me because he lives in me and he breathed and said, receive my spirit. And I did. And on this day, as as the group of people are flowing in to do their religious duties, on this day, this guy doesn't meet a religious person. He meets a contagious person. He doesn't know it up front, but the contagious person knows it. Because it's really hard looking at all of you to figure out who's sick in the room. But if you don't feel good right now, you know you are. But if I hang out with you long enough and realize, well, why didn't you tell me you had a fever? Now I've got a fever. I mean, that's kind of how this thing works. So he walks by and he grabs his leg and he says, hey, man. Can you give me some money? Well, most religious people costing some money, get off. I've got, I've got to hurry up and get to my, you know, you kind of in, in my prayer. I mean, you're going to make me late. But a contagious person deviates in the moment says, look, dude, man, I don't have $5. Wish I could. I wish I could do something to help you. I will tell you something, though. I do have something. And what I have is something maybe nobody else has offered you, and I'm going to be bold with it, and I'm going to tell you what I have as a person that lives in me and you're about to know his reality because you got too close to me and now my contagion is going to rub off on you and the guy's life is turned upside down because of one contagious person. I believe the reason the world can say y'all are just all hypocrites I believe the reason the world may say, yeah, I don't see any reason to go to church I believe the reason the world can say, I don't understand the Bible stuff is maybe at least in the South, we've all just become really religious and it's not really real to us anymore. I'm religious rather than contagious. There's nothing in me that would appeal to anybody. I'm just as sinful, just as broke, just as miserable. But I still go to church. I give God my tithe because the preacher told me at my last church, if I don't, I could get cursed. I pray the prayers because that's what Mother told me to do. You should always pray. But as soon as that hour on a week is over, my religiosity goes out the door and I become a social justice Christian. Oh yeah, here, dude, there's five. I got, I got to go to work, man. I got stuff to do. Honey, did you give that missionary $5? Good, give him five because I want to bless them too. But you're still not contagious. You're religiously social justice aware. But contagion is... How many people's lives have been changed because you're alive? How has our nation been changed because of one virus? What would happen if a Christian could become contagious? Oh, imagine you flip the world upside down. For the people turn the world upside down have come into our town. My, my belief, again, I go to the opinion. This is my opinion. My opinion is, is this virus that's hit our country has become a great object lesson for God's people. 
I don't necessarily believe God sent the virus, but I believe God in His brilliance can use things as an object lesson to wake us up. And the object lesson is infected people become contagious and the contagion spreads so vastly that it can shift a nation. And I believe it was an object lesson for the church if my people who were called by my name will become infectious with a relationship of my spirit, those infected people could become a contagion and the nation would shift. We could shift a nation. There's millions of us that claim Christ. You would think if millions of people claim that the Son of God is alive, offering eternal life and dwells on the inside of me and greater is He that's in me that's in the world, if we really believed it, would not the world flip upside down? Well, we do believe it. It's just a religious belief. It's not a contagious belief. I'll explain. Last year when we shut down the church to honor the government and the, you know, try to stay healthy, we went to virtual church and we filmed in the basement and we put it out there and we had these kind of talks like, oh man, you know, virtual church, we got to rethink how we do church. And so we did. But in the middle of rethinking church, I'm like, I just don't see this like shut down and not meeting because we're afraid we'll get sick. I said, I'm okay with that. That's logical. Don't gather together in a space that you don't social distance because you could get sick. I get it. I understand the medical science. I try not to live stupid. On this side, I have, but I serve a healer, a redeemer, who says, gather together, and he will keep me strong, and I can believe in him. That's stupid. Yeah, I know. But I believe that. But that's a dumb belief. Yeah, I know, but I still believe it. So we're going to meet. We're going to meet? Yes. Are we going to social distance? No. Are you going to make people wear a mask? No. Well, why would you open your church and not social distance and not make people wear masks? Because that's not what I believe. I believe he's a healer. I believe he's a giver. I believe when we gather in here, he's with us. And if he's with us and his presence is here, then I'm going to believe when I come in the door, he'll keep me safe. That's stupid. I know it is. But that's why it's fake. Do you know one church did it and 42 people died? I know. Shut up. Right? Because really, logic, if you're ever going to be contagious, will seem stupid. If you want to be religious, you'll always just do what's logical. But if you want to be contagious, there would be a time where logic has to bend to feel stupid because it's your faith. Second example, communion. Are we still going to do communion, Pastor? With open bowls and open bread during the pandemic? I mean, people coming up and dipping. We need to go back to packaged. Oh, you're right, man. I don't want people getting sick. Taking communion. Ugh. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm the last person in the building that takes communion every week because I usually let everybody else go. It takes a lot of faith <laughs> to take this piece of bread and I look in there and there's bread floating. <laughs> oh. oh, 
I see film on top where obviously people's lotion has left their fingers. And there's just stuff. And I look at that bowl and I'm like, oh, God, I can't. I go to this bowl. Oh, what's wrong with the middle section? Literally, I'm not even making a joke. Like, I have the gag reflex. Like, that's why we put this out for people who have no faith. Right here. People of little faith, this is your freedom. So when they ask me, are we still going to do open communion where we break the bread and get our germy fingers and all stick it in a germy bowl? And I'll remember when we were in our meeting with our team and we were discussing should we do it and we're voting on yes or no. It got around to me, you know, I am the lead pastor. I guess I could trump everybody and go, we're doing it. But I like to be fair. I listened to everybody's comments and I came to it and I said, all right, here's the deal. We're doing it. We got to do it. Here's why. Because what I believe about this is it's not just communion. It is the bread and body of Christ, a meal to heal. And I have to believe it brings me healing. And so when I see your little spittle in there floating around, oh, God, help me. I just have to go. Y'all think I'm up here confessing sin. I'm not. I'm up here, God, please don't let me die. I believe if COVID went in that bowl, as soon as it hit it, God, because it's prayed over COVID, died. And then I take my little bread and I dip it in. I try to look real spiritual. I'm like, oh, God, help me. Oh. Hey. Oh, Jesus. I feel the spirit on me now. I shared that. Because, and and again, I, I could care less which one you take. But I have to come to, I have to lift what I believe. And maybe the reason we're religious and not contagious is we really don't believe what we say we believe. Do you believe he's the healer? Then live like it. Do you believe that communion is you partaking of his death, burial, and resurrection? Then let's believe that. Do you believe that when his people gather together, he's in the midst of us or a virus is in the midst of us? Well, if both are in the midst of us, is God more powerful? And then we have to live that. If you don't believe that, stay home. It's good. We love you anyway. But if we claim to believe it, when you believe it, you become contagious. And I mean, talking about Jesus, if you just believe the milkshake can cause you to lose eight pounds, you will sell the shake. Religious versus contagious. Here's the thought. What really happened, the way they became contagious is they owned their 50 feet. Here's where it gets really interesting. Next scripture and then I'll conclude it. All the people saw him walking and they heard him praising God. This is the lame guy. And they realized that he was a lame beggar and the beautiful, he was the one of the beautiful. And they were absolutely astounded. Here's the thought I've come up with. One thing is certain. A changed life is contagious. Sam, stand up. Where are you? Come here, Sam. Diane, come here. Would you grab that mic? Contagious people are people who've been changed. Y'all can come up on, stand up here. We're going to sing. Tell everybody here, if you will, what happened seven years ago 
and how Jesus changed you? I got sober seven years ago. Tell um, <laughs> Jesus literally told me if I didn't stop, I would die. He said you would die. And I heard him say it, not... You know, you hear it in your spirit. Like it was a physical voice. Somebody said, if you don't quit, you're going to die. And I did not want to die. I didn't want to leave my kids. Um, I didn't want to leave everybody. So I came to this church the following Sunday. And I went to his house on Monday. And a group of people here prayed for me. And they welcomed me. And I have literally lived for Jesus for seven years. Praise if you don't stop you're gonna die I showed up at church I met a bunch of contagious people I went to their house and she walked up to me today and she goes guess what today is I said I know she said I've been free seven years today praise God um um Three years ago, well, I did methamphetamine for nine year, 19 years, and I was an expert at it. I mean, I, I put in some hours. And, um, <laughs> and 63,000 hours of cooking meth. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I was, I was a wreck. Everything about my life was a wreck. I pretty much wanted to kill myself. But, um, and I just cried out one night. Well, Paul and County picked me up first, so that kind of helped the process. Um, but I was in jail, and I was like, God, you got to do something, or I'm going to do something. And um, he did something, and I walked out of that jail like I'd never done meth before in my life. So... But I did just baptize my buddy, who we started out doing drugs together, and now he's saved, and and not doing, and he came off of heroin. His was worse than mine. So, but. thank you both. Change lives are contagious. You want me to tell you how I know? Preach my guts out for 40 minutes, nobody cried. But put two contagious people on the stage. And almost everybody in the room's teared up. My dad's over there even wiping his eyes. But just so you know the power of contagion, mom, come up. My mother never did meth, she was never addicted, but. She doesn't even have a tattoo. <laughs> but one thing I know about my mother and her family, they were brilliantly religious. They were Methodists through and through and to the core until something happened. I had been brought up in a Methodist church and we confessed the Holy Spirit. We were told the Holy Spirit 
was real among us. We never saw the Holy Spirit. We never heard the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to live in me when I was 15 years old, but he was still like a third cousin to me. But at age 30, I was baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I came to understand the Holy Spirit wants to be seen and heard. And there were two times in my life that the Holy Spirit was seen and heard through working through me. My mother's sister was in the hospital dying. Uh, she had contacted a, a liver disease. They gave her no hope. The family had gone home to prepare her funeral. She was in the process of dying. They left my mother and me at the hospital to be there in case she did die. I went in to tell her goodbye. She was in a coma, fetal position. And as I stood over her bed, I looked at my Bible, and it was like everything went dark, and a flashlight hit a verse. And the verse said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And I asked God to give me my aunt's life. And I went back out in, into the waiting room, waiting on her to die. But the long story made short is she was resurrected from the dead. She came back to life. The doctors said there was no reason for this other than a miracle. That miracle spread through that hospital like wildfire. We had people come, nurses came from the 14th floor to look at my aunt because they wanted to see a miracle. Uh, people who were sick on her hall came down and wanted to know if we were the women involved with the miracle and would we go pray for Uncle Joe. And we saw God wants to be seen and heard. In 207, our son Gary was hit by a drunk driver. His heart stopped during treatment, and he died. They resurrected him back to life, and he had brain damage. They told my husband and I that he would be put in a nursing home with a feeding tube, and that they would leave him there until he, he died. And thank God for the Holy Spirit. When the doctor told me this, I was at the hospital by myself, I said to the doctor, uh, well, doctor, I appreciate all you've done, but I said, what you don't know about us is we are praying people. He said, Mrs. Evans, this is beyond prayer. Prayer is not going to help you. And my husband came. We anointed our son with oil. God resurrected him from the dead. He's alive and well today because God touched him. And... And the doctor that said to me, uh, prayer's not going to do you any good, said to my son, he came to visit my son in his home alive, the doctor that said he was as good as dead, said, I saw what prayer and God did for you, and I moved to a different place with God. That's what owning your 50 feet means. The Holy Spirit wants to be seen and heard in Jesus' name. Come on, hallelujah. Stand up with me if you will. Diane, thank you, Mom. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. I want to put a question up on the screen to challenge you today. Is the Jesus in you contagious? That's all I want you to go home and ask today. 
or are you religious? You came here today, you'll give money today, you'll do communion today. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad you're here. But the win of the kingdom is when we walk out the door, we're either going to be religious or contagious. And if you want to know how you know, it's whether or not you offer Jesus or social justice. It's whether or not you believe what you say you believe. Do you believe he answers prayer? Then if you're contagious, you'll pray. Do you believe he's a healer? If you believe that, you'll be contagious and believe he'll heal people. If he's changed your life like Sam, you'll be contagious if you'll live that change. And if we do, this is how weird it is, if we will live that, I believe we can change a nation. We can change a school. We can change our work. We can, if we'll just all say and answer as I did last year and had time to pray on it and repent of it, when I said, I think I'm more religious than contagious and I want to change. And that is my prayer for you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.